Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge in the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. We know that HR professionals have to deal with an entire employee life cycle, from finding candidates to getting them hired and, and onboarded, right through keeping them engaged and retained. I also don't have to remind our audience how big of an issue employee engagement and retention is right now. If you can't improve the first, the second will suffer. Today, we are lucky to be joined by Aaron Ain, the CEO of Kronos, an organization dedicated to improving employee engagement. Ain began at Kronos in 1979 and never left. In fact, he worked his way up to CEO and has been going strong ever since. He has been tackling employee engagement for years and practices what he preaches. Glassdoor has awarded him top CEO for multiple years, and the New York Times profiled him in an article entitled, The Incalculable Value of a Good Boss. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. We're thrilled to have you. My pleasure. Thanks. Let's jump right in. Uh, I was reading in your bio that you worked for Kronos your entire career. Being at the same company for eight to 10 years, I think is a foreign concept for a lot of people these days, never mind for four decades. Would, did you always think you'd become CEO? Was that always in the cards? No, I, actually, I never did. You know, I started right out of um, college when I graduated, 21 years old at Kronos, and just was happy to have a job like lots of other people when they get their first jobs. And um, just worked my way up through the process and uh, never had it on my list of being the CEO of uh, Kronos one day, let alone any other company. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd be surprised <laughs> if you did. Not that people with uh, boundless ambition never make it to the top or anything, but um, I, you know, I didn't know that I was going to one day be the CEO of this company. So there you go. <laughs> See, we have a lot in common. <laughs> so, uh, what do you think about? Uh, how do you think about engagement differently? Well, look, I, I believe that great organizations are driven by great people. Great people produce better products, deliver better service. And the challenge with that is companies go pursue the idea if they do it all of hiring great people. If they don't create an environment that's engaging, those great people won't stay. They won't stay for one really good reason is because they don't have to, because the nature of being really above average means they have lots of choices. And so when I think about engagement, it's directly connected to our ability to recruit and retain great people who represent the magic for us and our ability to create great products, deliver great service, which in the end drives business outcomes that are favorable for the company. So engagement is so uniquely directly tied um, to the ability to um, have great people and produce these great outcomes. That's a great answer. Um, when do you, when you first started at Kronos, um, what was employee engagement like then? And you know, once you became the leader, uh, how did you address that? 
When I first started at Kronos, I was one of the first employees. I'm not a founder of the company, but an early employee. And nobody talked about engagement. We were just working six, seven days a week to get the company started. So it wasn't on anybody's mind. It wasn't something, at least I never talked about it. You know, we were all on a mission. We're all in our 20s to go create um, a company and have it be successful. And I'm not sure exactly when engagement became something we actively talked about. Probably not for a good 15 to 20 years. At least if we did, I don't remember it being something we focused on. I don't remember engagement surveys back during those periods. Um, yeah, so really nothing with it. Now, once we started doing it, I wasn't the CEO then. And then organizations, newspapers, other um, magazines, other um, HR organizations started publishing lists of great places to work. I don't remember that existing 30 years ago. But when that started, say, 15, 20 years ago, I remember thinking, why can't we be one of those companies? Why can't we be one of those best places to work? And that's when I probably started tuning into the whole engagement piece more actively. And when I became CEO, I had an opportunity to put my ideas into action, really starting with a simple idea. I wanted us to be one of those great places to work. <laughs> yeah, it's um, that's a great that's a great question to ask yourself, and it's very rare to have the opportunity to to really grapple it and eventually be be in charge of carrying one of those ideas to fruition. Um, you have a lot of experience dealing with you know all kinds of shareholders in an organization you know, these companies that you that you work with. Um, who do you think has the biggest impact? You know, is it HR, is it the executives, or is it the employees themselves? Well, I think everyone plays a role. And I tell people all the time that no one's more important than anybody else. And the reason we have 6,000 or so employees at Kronos is because we need 6,000 employees. And so I think that from my office right down through the organization, we all play a meaningful role in what we're trying to accomplish at uh, Kronos every day and, and how we do it. Um, do I think at Kronos that we choose to have HR play a more active strategic role? I do. I do. But I would say it's not designed to be any more active or strategic than our product development or our customer service, et cetera. I just think a lot of companies don't view HR as strategically as it could or it should be viewed. That's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, and it's, it's a good one. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about employee engagement, you know, they're either talking about, you know, driving better culture from the top down you know, or sometimes they talk about the other way, driving culture from the bottom up, but it really is more of a holistic kind of thing, right? You mean driving culture in both directions? Yeah, you know, and with the interest of creating a better, you know, employee engagement. Well, I think we have to drive it in both directions. Although I think if the CEO or the top people aren't committed to having an engaged workforce, I think it certainly is more difficult. I think that if companies don't understand the role that managers at all levels from frontline managers to the most executive level managers play a role in people's commitment to stay at an organization, I think those are key components of it. So look, people join companies because of the organization. 
I believe they leave because of who they work for. So you can have lots of individual contributors deeply committed to having an engaged environment, but if the people they work for and if the managers in general and the top level teams that are driving the strategy don't go and take it as seriously, then I suggest that's problematic. So that's a good point. Um, let's just switch gears to a, a book that you recently published called Work Inspired, How to Build an Organization Where Everyone Loves to Work. It's been out for a little while. I think you published it last year. Um, was there anything about that that has resonated more than you thought that it would? That's a really good question. First of all, when I did the book, it's not something that was on my bucket list to write a book, but we had done a lot of um, great things at Kronos and people encouraged me to share what we had created. Um, now, having said that, I've been surprised. There's 14 chapters and I'm not a big business book guy, so I actually don't really like them, quite frankly. So I wrote <laughs> the book so that you could read any chapter standalone. It probably takes 15, 20 minutes to read a chapter. And I tell people, go pick up the book, like look at the table of contents. If you see a particular chapter, read that. If you like it, then I don't know, read a chapter before it or read a chapter after it. Um, from that point of view. But the thing that surprised me has been one particular chapter that people have been giving me the most feedback on. And I wrote a whole chapter on the called trust. And, and what it really captures is the, the value, the important, and most importantly, the impact of trust on driving great outcomes. And that particular chapter has been um, the one I get the most comments on in a positive way. Hmm. It's, uh, I mean, it's obviously so important, you know, and especially in a world where people can be replaced by machines or, you know, there's all these mergers and acquisitions that are going on, you know, people are tender and they don't, it's easy to think that someone doesn't have your back, especially upper management, you know, so I could see how any effort at all to try and make trust an important like a in front of everybody's minds, top of their mind kind of thing would be really valuable. Yeah, I, I agree. And and I think it, it has an impact trust in, in ways that are unexpected. You know, when as a leader, you're not looking over everybody's shoulder all the time, then it frees you up, it liberates you to go work on other things. And think about it from the other direction. Um, an individual contributor, if you trust them, that's empowering for them. That motivates them. They're more engaged. And so trust comes in the form of um, not necessarily even looking out for them or looking out for their backs. It's like leaving them alone and trusting them to do their work. And we have a, a open vacation policy where people can um, be flexible when they're here and when they're not here. That's not possible if we don't trust each other. We trust each other to get their work done. So I could give you lots of examples of how trust really, if done well, um, is magical, quite frankly. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, and you, you kind of hinted at it, but like the concept of being able to, being free to innovate if you're trusted and, and, and the other side of that, not wanting to take risks if you feel like you're not, you're not trusted or you feel like someone's looking over your shoulder too much. That's right, that's right, exactly. So it has so many touch points and it makes so many other things possible. It's an enabler um, in many ways. Right. Um, 
In your book, you talk about this concept called uh, manager effective index. Can you just talk about what that is, how you came upon it, and, and what you're doing with it? Sure. So it's manager effectiveness index. And what it is is we um, have all 800 or so people managers at Kronos are rated twice a year by their team members. In traditional um, performance evaluations, typically you're only reviewed by your manager. At Kronos, you're effectively reviewed by your manager, but you're also evaluated by all the people who work for you. And it's 19 questions that we ask twice a year as part of our engagement survey work that um, the employees answer those questions from strongly agree to strongly disagree in various areas around what we would say are how effective is a manager. And then we give that feedback to the managers and we expect them to improve and meet with their teams and and um, make sure that they're being an effective manager. Going back to this idea, people leave companies because of who they work for. So how do we do that? That's a that's a great concept. Um, it really brings the the solution directly to the problem, doesn't it? Well, that's right, and and it, it completes the solution. So your manager may get it perfectly right when they're reviewing an, someone on their team, i.e. someone who's a manager working for them, but they might have an incomplete view. And, and so it completes the view by getting the employee's perspective in terms of how the manager's doing. And, you know, we've had manager training program for a while, and we thought that once we put managers through our courage to lead training that we solved the problem. I don't think what, I think what we didn't recognize completely is that some people took to the training better than others. And the manager effectiveness or MEI is another tool that now helps us measure how they did and how they're doing in terms of executing against that training that they got. What, what advice do you have for our audience when it comes to aligning priorities and strategy with executives, specifically in the C-suite? Well, you know, sometimes I tell people as a CEO, I have to do lots of things well, but three things in particular I have to focus on. I have to make sure we have a strategy. It doesn't have to be my strategy. I don't have to be the only strategist. I have to participate actively, obviously. Once we have a strategy, need to make sure that we put resources behind the strategy. People, time, funding, programs. And then I have to make sure that I become an evangelist for the strategy with our employees, our customers, our partners, the community that evaluates solutions in our space, et cetera. So strategy becomes an important part that connects to so many other core parts of what happens in the business. Now, um, priorities change, um, but at the same time, um, you know, we need to continue to talk about how our strategy aligns with those priorities and change the strategy accordingly. One of the things I do to make sure we stay aligned is when we do our budgets each year, I take a look and one of the last things I do is say, okay, let's take a look at the budget. Now let's pull out our strategic set of objectives and what we're working on and does our budget, do our resources in this case specifically, support the strategy as defined. And if it doesn't, then I say, well, we're not putting muscle behind that part of the strategy. Are we not serious about the strategy? If we are, then we need to go resource it effectively. So these are just examples of how we make sure we 
we keep it aligned. And it's just not executive alignment. It's alignment throughout the organization. Yeah, it seems like, you know, if you, you, you hear in organizations all the time, they're coming from the, from the top down, you know, we're going to be impactful this year or we're going to be, you know, uh, extra engaged. And if, yeah, if there's not a framework there. Yeah, we try to be a little more specific than that. So I understand your point. It makes me giggle. Yeah, so I've seen those <laughs> myself. So no, we just don't say we're going to be impactful. So we're more um, action oriented and, and specific, uh, um, you know, objectives and tactics and, and what we're going to do. But it starts with having a strategy. You need to know what you want to do before you decide how you're going to do it. Sounds like simple advice. It's amazing how uh, how some organizations are unable to to get that concept off the ground. Yeah. Um, as an organization that has this you know this great track record with employee uh, engagement, can you share a couple tips for organizations you know, that they can implement in order to just connect with their employees better, to create you know better employee engagement? Yeah. Um, and how that relates to customer experience, innovation, and, and other aspects of the company? Look, I think you need to start by communicating with your people. I think you need to be transparent. I, need to, I think you need to have an organization that's collaborative. I, I think when you communicate, you have to tell the truth. And this comes back to the ideas of trust. Um, people need to know what the objectives are. They need to know what's going on with the organization. They need to have confidence in the leadership team. And they get that by um, engaging with the people. Now, once you're communicating, collaborating, be transparent, creating a trusting environment, you also need to measure how you're doing and make sure you get it right. Because oftentimes we think we're doing it well, but maybe we're not. And so this comes into the whole piece about asking, listening, reacting, responding, all of these important things. So we get 93% participation in our engagement survey, and which is really quite high, I'm told. And when we ask people, why do you participate time and again, they tell us because when we give you comments, when we give you feedback, we can see you're doing something about it. So we'll keep giving you comments and feedback as long as you keep doing something about it. So that's the area of reacting to it. Now, when you do that well, you can imagine that's an engaged workforce. They feel listened to. They feel empowered. They feel like they're part of the overall objective and and their point of view and their voice um, carries weight. And so that's how we think about it. What what are some of the trends that you're hearing from the HR world about you know what they want out of a technology solution? Uh, well, certainly technology is changing so quickly. We're moved to a world where mobile devices are things that everybody uses. We're moved to a world of bring your own device. Organizations less and less are giving out one device. All the devices are a little bit different. Um, employees want to be communicated through the ways that they want to be communicated with, whether it's mobile devices, whether it's tablets, desktops, whether it's through social media, whether it's through tools from Microsoft or Facebook or um, uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram or all these other methods. So I think organizations need to understand that communication critical, but we need to communicate in ways that our employees wanna be communicated with that will get the best outcomes and 
the best results. I also think what's happening in our world is this whole gig economy. Someone this morning described it more actively as the independent worker. I'm told that there's 57 million people in the U.S. alone today that are working as independent workers or in this gig economy. So how do we um, understand that companies like Kronos and all companies need to find ways to have those people um, help us solve our problems and it doesn't just have to be people who work full time for us? Um, what do we do with that? And so I think that's a really changing dynamic in the whole world of HR today. Um, I also think the whole idea of um, using technology, whether it's um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, to predict outcomes that will happen in future periods based on current or recent events that take place. Can we, and I think we can, predict who, who's turnover risk? Um, can we, I think we can, predict who are the best people to do certain tasks around their skills? So I think what I encourage HR organizations to do is we just can't keep doing things the way we've always done them before. We have to embrace these new methods, these new practices, both in terms of what our employees want, what workers who will help us be successful want, and what technology gives us the ability to do that helps us be a better provider of a product or a service that we may deliver. Really pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, there's something I just went to this CNBC um, conference just a couple days ago, and you know, they had people from IBM there and people from all these huge companies, and there was a real talk about moving to moving away from requiring four-year degrees for employees and. I just wanted to get, what do you think about? Who about requires that? it? Why would you require it? I know. I know. I mean, from my perspective, I thoroughly understand, you know, you look at, I was on the job market not too long ago. It's only been a few years. And for entry level jobs, almost every one of them are asking for three to five years of experience. You know, that alone is asking for an overqualification. It's an entry level job people that are applying to it. Never mind like the fact that school, you almost never work in the in the field that you went to school for. And, and then there's all those great workers out there that didn't go to school. You know, you're missing out on that talent. Right. So first of all, we probably hire, I don't have the exact numbers, so forgive me if this isn't perfect. 20 to 25% of the 1,000 to 1,500 people we hire a year it's people who it's their first or second job. So we put a real premium on hiring people to um, include a diversity component, component based on age and experience. So we have oodles of people who it's their first or second job running around the company doing meaningful work. And we can develop them that way. We work with universities in different parts of the world, either through intern programs or co-op programs to identify people who can help us um, do that. So um, to answer the first part of the question, they don't have to have in all jobs and quite, in fact, lots of jobs, you don't have to have three, four, five years of experience in order to get a job working at Kronos. So that's fabulous. And, and it's something we focus on and we do it strategically. To tell you the truth, 
I don't even know if we even go require people to have four-year degrees to apply for jobs here. I think we evaluate people on their skills and their background and where that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, for those people where we're hiring people first or second job, are we going to the college campuses to identify and hire those people? Yeah, of course we are, because that's the place to find them. Right. But it doesn't mean that if we meet people who don't align with that perfectly, that we wouldn't give them an opportunity to work here. So maybe those great big companies you heard at the conference you were at can do that. But we look for people in all sorts of places. So if people apply to a job, apply for a job at Kronos, we'll consider anyone who submits, you know, um, and um, submits interest if they have um, skills that can help align with what we want to do. Yeah, you know, it seems to me like from an employee engagement perspective, I would be willing to give a lot more to an organization that believed in me from the beginning because they liked who I was versus then how well I put together a resume or how well I read on a resume, you know? Well, I think it's both. I think, you know, once people join an organization, if you create an engaged environment, they're going to give you everything. They're going to work hard to do a great job. And so, um, you know, there's one dimension of the relationship with an employee as a candidate, and there's a whole different and elevated relationship with them once they join the organization. It's a great way to put it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for tackling that. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Good, great questions. You have a deep understanding of this. So I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to you and share our thoughts with your listeners. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and listeners, we are always interested in suggestions that you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with any thoughts or concerns you have about the podcast in general, or if you just want to say hi. Thanks for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works. <laughs>